a lot of people think about money in terms of what they should do with it. They think about the things they're told they need to have or the responsibilities that come with having wealth. But if you take a step back and look at human history, you'll see that the way we use money is actually based on our emotions and our instincts. We don't use money because we should. We use it because it makes us happy. Money doesn't have to be a source of stress. You can make up your own rules around money and create a system that works for you. Don't let anyone else tell you how to manage your finances. Fear, guilt, and other people's opinions about money should not dictate how you deal with it. Only you can figure out what works best for you. So get creative and come up with a money strategy that makes you happy. I'm Bob Wheeler, and this is Money You Should Ask, where we explore why we do what we do when it comes to money. In this episode, I speak with money coach Mariah, a.k.a. Mariah Rayner. We talk about the whys of our money choices, not the shoulds. We talk about how we feel about debt and feel about money. We geek out on the power of words and how significant they are in our money mindset. Mariah stresses the point that we all get to make our own rules about money. Mariah holds a degree in education from the University of South Florida and has always loved teaching and helping others. After graduation, she was promoted at the company she was working for at the time and had the opportunity to coach and train many others in leadership, sales, and performance. In 2018, she started to feel weighed down by debt and was always worried about money. She felt like she couldn't save any money no matter how she tried, and she decided she wanted more for her life. It became her goal to feel in control and confident with money. Over the next 18 months, she continued learning as much as she could and paid off $60,000 in debt. She went on to get certified in money coaching and started her business towards the end of 2020 and has been helping clients create a better relationship with money ever since. Mariah, it is so great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited because I think we really resonate. I really resonate with this money mindset stuff. One of the things that some of these high-profile money folks do is they shame the crap out of their people Mm -hmm. and just say, that's stupid, don't do it. You know, you talk about finding out what's not working and why, Mm -hmm. so that then from there we can do something differently. And I think that's so important because... It's not just about saving because we're in fear. It's about saving because I want to reach a goal. I want to change my life. I think so often people don't stop to actually understand the why, why I don't have what I have. Why do I want what I want? So I'm excited about this because you talk about this. So you're a money coach. And for people that are listening going, money coach, what is that? What's a money coach? So for me, being a money coach is about helping my clients create a relationship with money that feels really good so that they can live life the way they want to. And can you say a little bit more about a relationship? Because I find people are hopeful that I learn five, six things. I do a budget. I know my spending. I'm done. I never have to work on my money stuff again. I've learned the six rules or the five rules. It's a relationship. And relationships require work constantly because they change. That's a bummer. Yeah, exactly. I literally compare it to relationships with a partner because you know what someone does for work and how old they are and how tall they are doesn't mean that you have a relationship, right? Like you have to actively work on your connection, your relationship, how you feel about each other. And I feel it's the same with our money. So that is what we work on. No, that's great. And you've been working with a lot of people and 
you originally went to school to become an educator. Yeah. And so you did all these proper things and you had a course set for life. Then you dropped all that to go into financial education, really, and to helping people. What was that transition like and what was the calling to do that? Mm -hmm. Ever since I was young, I loved teaching and helping people and like the energy of learning and that light bulb moment. So I went to school to be a teacher and I did graduate. So I did finish. (laughs) But I think the transition happened is after I graduated and I had a good amount of debt. I had about $60,000 in debt and I started looking to the internet to figure out how I could feel better about my money situation because I was feeling really stressed and the more money I would make, the same that I would feel. Like I would still feel stressed out, overwhelmed, like I wasn't making enough money. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. So as I looked online, kind of like I think you mentioned earlier is that a lot of what I was finding was like make a budget, like spend less than what you make don't spend money on coffees, or that's wrong. And none of that really resonated with me. (laughs) So I did more and more research of like, okay, how can I feel better? Not how just can I like not have debt? How can I feel better? And I kind of went down this road of more life coaching, I guess, is what Mm -hmm. I found online. And more of like, okay, who do I want to be with my money? How do I want to show up? How do I want to feel about it? What approach do I want to take? And I started to make my own set of rules when it came to my money. And that felt a lot better to me. And I paid off my debt so much faster. I paid off $60,000 in debt, but not by strictly budgeting and not going to Starbucks or not going to get coffee, right? It was more about what worked for me and evaluating that and growing and creating that relationship. That's so cool. And I love that you really connected with how do I feel about my money? How do I feel about my debt? Because I'm feeling the same, making a whole lot more money. And I know it sounds counterintuitive to say it's not just about buying the coffees. It's not just about doing these things. It really is for me that getting to that understanding of, oh, I'm doing this to fill a void. I'm whatever it is, I'm doing this to be in connection with my family. I'm doing this to push people away. I'm doing this because I'm not worthy. Whatever those stories, whatever that mindset is, it's about how we feel. Yeah. So if we don't give ourselves permission to feel good about celebrating money or that we can't feel good that we've made progress, because most people aren't running around going, I just created $30,000 worth of debt yesterday. Isn't that awesome? Like, we don't talk about this. Yeah, I think that's so true. From what I was reading and finding online at the time when I was looking was that like debt was bad. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know if I wanted to keep that belief or not, but I tried to because I was like, okay, well, like, this is what I thought at the time was like, debt is bad. So I need to get rid of my debt and then I'll feel better. And then as I started paying down my debt, I noticed I was actually getting more and more stressed out because I had to like do it right. Right. Like do it a certain way or else it was like terrible. And again, like that just didn't feel right for me. And I didn't want to spend the rest of my life approaching my money from feeling like that. Yeah. And I've talked about this on a few episodes. When you paid off the debt, Mm -hmm. was there a big parade? Did you get like awards and accolades? Did everybody come in and just tell you how amazing you were? Or was it just sort of another day? It was definitely just another day for me. I'm not sure other people's answer, but for me, 
I was like, okay, I paid off my debt. Like now what? I've been focusing on this for like two years. It's been my entire identity. Like what do I do with my life now? Yeah. The reason I think that's important is because I think for everybody, it's pretty much another day. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people have paid off the debt and said, now what? (laughs) Yeah. Isn't anybody going to like pat me on the back and tell me I'm amazing? Because it's a lot of hard work. Yeah. But often the hard work, nobody pats us on the back. We just do it because it actually benefits us. Yeah. I even think about it like I've compared it to when you get engaged to somebody and you're like leading up to your wedding and you're super excited, you're planning all the things, you're like getting everything ready and then you get married and you're like, okay, what now? Like now we're just going to go to work every day and like be bored. (laughs) Oh, they're still there. (laughs) Right. It's like about the relationship. Like it's not all about the wedding day. Like you have to really continue to like work on your relationship. Yeah. And how did you get into debt, if I may ask? About 20,000 of it was student loans Mm -hmm. and about 40,000 was a Jeep Wrangler, (laughs) (laughs) which I still have. And I love that car. So, you know, I'm happy with it. (laughs) Now you're pretty young and you're out telling people, you know, here's how you can do it. Like that you had to be like 40 or 50 before you could like give guidance. I'm joking, obviously, but you learned this pretty early. Did your parents help give you a new mindset? Like, I know you were not just feeling good about the debt, but where did you get all this experience or what did you learn that helped you to say, you know what, I can actually help other people? Because some people can learn all this stuff and go, I'm still not qualified. I don't know it. And you're out there saying, look, I can help you have a different relationship with your money. I've been there. Yeah, for sure. So growing up, my parents definitely did have lots of debt and they did struggle with money. And growing up, I witnessed that. And I think that's part of where my fear came from around having debt was because I didn't want it to like make my life hard was kind of like one of the underlying thoughts there. And when I was in school for education, because again, I've always loved teaching people and helping them. Like that's been my passion. Like since I was five years old, I was making my sister, my little sister, who was a year or two younger, like watch me write stuff and read her stories, whatever. (laughs) So I've always loved doing that. And when I graduated college, I was actually working in a corporate job at the time, which I ended up staying with that job for a while. And in that job, I had a team of people under me and I spent a lot of time coaching them on the business, on sales, on their mindset around their sales, around them making money. Cause I was in a sale, I was a sales manager at a pretty young age. And so in that role, I got very lucky because I was recognized and I was able to train other managers, train employees take trainings and learn myself, right? And do like leadership trainings and coaching trainings. So from like around 20 years old, I was learning about how to coach other people and help other people. And I had a team of people who were getting really good results. So I believed pretty early on that like, okay, I love teaching people and I'm pretty good at it is what I believed about myself. Yeah. So I feel like that really helped me for sure. Absolutely. And While you were training other people, because for me, this is an important piece Mm -hmm. because as I became a CPA, right, I still had some financial baggage that I didn't really want to tell everybody. How was it for you? You're coaching other people, how to be, how to get sales, how to step up. And I've got this debt. I felt like I was really close with my entire team. And it was always funny because I was a little bit younger than them too. Like I said, I was like 20, 21 when I became, I think, an assistant manager. And then I you know, moved up from there. But I was just always open with people. I would tell them straight up. And it's funny, like when you're 21 and you have like 31-year-olds coming to you being like, hey, should I take this car loan? <laughs> hey, like, what should I do with my paycheck? I don't know. I think the more open and honest I was, the more open and honest they were with me. And like, yeah. we just fostered that 
trusting relationship. And then from there, I think that built my confidence up too. Cause I was like, okay, like if I'm open and honest and they're open and honest, we can put our two heads together and grow and learn. So that's always been my approach. Yeah. Well, now knowing what you know, would you have done it differently with the Jeep or with the student loan debt, or would you have done it exactly the same? If somebody else were coming to you and they had the option to go into $20,000 with student loan debt and get a Jeep, what would you tell them? Hmm. So I'm going to give you two parts. The first one is what I have done it any differently. No, because I feel like that's led me to where I am now. If a client came to me or even like a friend and was like, hey, should I go take out $40,000 loan or whatever it is? I think I would just ask them like, what do you think you should do? Mm. Like, what do you want to do, honestly, and why? Because I think when I bought my Jeep, it was from this place of like, I deserve it. I drive an hour to work. Like, I've always wanted one versus like, no, I really love this car. You know, it's going to bring me so much joy, like taking the top off. Like, that was there too. But I think my primary reason in the beginning was not something that would align with me now, if that makes sense. So I always like to get to the root of like, okay, why do you want to do it? And are you going to love your reasons why? once you go through with it. Yeah. How did you get to that understanding? Because it is an important piece on your website about the why. Like so many people just focus on the behavior and it drives me crazy because I got to understand the why for myself and for others. Because to me, if I don't have that piece of understanding, I can't really do anything different. Like why is that so important, right? So many people out there are just like, do this and change your behavior. And for me, if I didn't understand the why, I couldn't make a change. So I'm wondering, how did you come to that discovery? Because I'm in agreement with you. The why is critical. But I'm wondering how you got there organically. Yeah, I think the way that I figured that out was like, what is your question? How did I figure that out? Mm -hmm. I think I learned it. It's a skill, I feel like, to be in touch with separating out your facts and your circumstances from your beliefs and your desire for something. For me, really getting in touch with my reasons, I feel like I got there because when I started looking into why am I feeling this way about my money, it really uncovered a lot of, I think, some deeper layers of what's creating these negative feelings around my debt, around my money. And the more I dove into that and the more I got clear on why I was currently feeling this way... I think it was easier for me to look at, okay, well, how do I want to feel? Why do I want to feel that way? And then how do I create that for my life? And do you think that that's really helped people when they start to understand the why that that helps give them the aha moment? I definitely think so. Yeah. Because it does feel like that's the moment that you actually bring it to consciousness. Yeah. And I personally think you could tell me your thoughts too, is like anything we do in life is either to feel something or avoid feeling something. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think most of us think it's to feel something (laughs) and often it's actually to avoid. Yeah. We might have to feel disappointment. We might have to feel grief. It's so ripe there with emotions. Like if we go past what's going on, when I do workshops, I'll often ask people, what do you have to feel if you don't blame people? Like what do you get to avoid feeling when you blame other people? And it can be really painful because then I actually have to look back at myself. A hundred percent. And even like when I looked at my debt or with clients, if they have debt and they're like, I want to pay, like, that's usually what I'll hear first. I either want to save up X amount. I want to make this amount or I want to pay off my debt for a combination. And I'm always like, how does your debt make you feel? And usually it's like stressed, anxious, worried, like those emotions. So essentially by paying it off, what we try to do is not feel stressed, anxious, worried. And so 
looking at a, like, what do I want to create more of instead of what do I want to get away from? Mm -hmm. And also it's like, why? What are the most common things that you see with people in the struggle? Is it just debt? Is it, I'm not enough. My parents will disapprove or I'll seem like I'm greedy. Are there some common threads that you see? Yeah, I would say it's typically feelings of what I hear from people is like guilt and shame. Yeah. Like they don't want to make the wrong decision. And even if we like try to get really clear on like, okay, what's the wrong decision? We'll be like, I don't know. It's almost like I just think certain things are wrong and I think certain things are not wrong. And so we really have to unwind that Mm -hmm. to get to the root of, okay, what's actually coming up here? Yeah. And how do you help people see the light at the end of the tunnel? The last 10 years, they've amassed $60,000 worth of debt, $100,000 worth of debt. They're ready to make a change and we need to get all this done by Friday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think part of like my process is, again, getting really clear on what you want to do specifically and why, and then separating out your circumstances and the facts of your situation from how do you want to think about it? How do you want to feel about it? What do you want to believe about yourself between now and the time that the debt is paid off? And this feels like an important part, and we haven't talked about it, but the celebratory part, Mm -hmm. even when we pay off a little debt, or Mm -hmm. it feels to me like sometimes that I wasn't given permission to go, look, I've made some progress. Or now that I made progress, well, now you can't have any fun because you must stick to, you got to do this thing. Mm -hmm. Or how dare you be happy because other people aren't there yet. I don't know if that feels true, but it feels to me sometimes culturally, we're not allowed to celebrate too much, especially people that are just trying to get back on the ground. Well, don't be too happy. Yeah. So something I personally do is I try to write down like every morning or like every evening, whenever, like a couple celebrations from my day or from the week, even if it's like I got up today and I showed up for myself, whatever it is. And what I notice is the more that clients do that, the next call, they'll come with like five celebrations <laughs> because you create more of what you focus on. Right. And so just a quick little thing, if your listeners want to try this, think about 10 things that you've wanted in the past that you have now. Mm. So for example, if you've really wanted to buy a new car and you bought a new car a few months ago, like celebrate that. Like think about 10 things that you wanted that you have. It really, I feel, puts things into perspective. Yeah, I think that's an awesome exercise. And I think we don't stop often enough to pause and realize, oh, I made that benchmark. Oh, I hit that goal. Yes. Oh, I've done that twofold, trifold. Yeah. And I don't know if it's socially, if it's just in the US, but I know for me, conditioned to like next accolade, next project, next. So I don't even get to stop and go, oh, this, no, I got to get, I can't get behind. Because otherwise 10 people are going to pass me. Yeah. And we get caught up in that rat race or running on that hamster wheel or whatever it might be. hundred percent. Yeah. You're definitely not alone in that. And so anyone who's listening, they're not alone in that either. Like I've hundred percent done that. I still do that. It's just being able to take a moment to intentionally. And I think that's a lot of this work, right? Is sometimes you do have to be intentional and direct yourself back to, okay, like, yes, I still have goals, but or and I'm also proud of this and who I am today, who I'm becoming. And I just have to say, I love that you self-corrected with the but and the and. See? This is, I, I write a whole bit about this because 
We can be both. Yeah. We can have holes and we can be striving to do better. We can be afraid of debt and we can be working on it and want something different. It's so important to let both coexist mm -hmm. instead of it's either or. Yeah. So thank you so much yeah. for that course correction on that word. It's a small word, but it is so dangerous. So powerful. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, talking about the power of words, one of my favorite smallest words that can be either incredibly negative or incredibly positive is no. Sometimes we say no to the wrong thing. We don't say no when it's for self-advocacy and we don't say no, I won't tolerate that. And sometimes we say no to success. And so it's such a small word, but when we can embrace the power of no, mm -hmm. setting a boundary, self-advocacy, and no, that doesn't work for me, it can be incredibly powerful. A hundred percent, which I think like you kind of just pointed out, it really comes from what you're believing about yourself and about the situation in that moment. Because it can either come from fear, right? Like, no, I can't do that. Or like, no, I shouldn't do that. Like that word shouldn't coming from that fear versus like, no, and feeling like empowered when you say it or confident when you say it. So it really comes down to like, what are we thinking about ourselves in this situation? What am I believing about me here? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. I was just having this conversation with somebody and we were talking about the ability to say no. And in the past, how they would go, no. <laughs> and then when they finally went, no, everybody went, oh, that's clear. And <laughs> yeah, the universe was like, got it. Yeah. That's it. A line has been drawn. No. <laughs> yes. So good. And I even think like reflecting and evaluating, I love to evaluate all areas of my life, right? So if there's something I said no to or something that maybe I felt uncertain about when I said no, even going back and evaluating like, okay, what was happening for me in that moment? What was I actually thinking about myself? How was I feeling? Okay. And then I said, no, was I feeling no from being nervous because I believed X? Like in really just exploring that, taking the time to explore and evaluate what's happening for us in our heads. Well, and what I love is what I'm hearing is you're still evaluating. We didn't get it all wrapped up and put it on the shelf. And to me, evaluating translates into curiosity. Yes. And we have to cultivate that curiosity if we want to keep expanding. That's my belief. So I'm not saying everybody must. I believe that if we really cultivate that curiosity and really self-reflection, mm. we can take on the whole world and we can have everything we want, even if it's uncomfortable. And even if some of the holes reflect, at least we go, oh, that's where one of the holes is. Yeah. And I think even for me in the past, I didn't evaluate like years and years ago. I never evaluated. I think it was from being afraid of failure and I didn't really want to look. I just wanted to keep going and achieve the next goal so I could like put that in my past right. versus redefining to what a failure is and using that in my path to success and growing from it. I think that's so huge for sure. Yeah, that is such an important piece. Mariah, we are at the Fast Five. Fast Five is brought to you by Greenlight. The debit card for kids managed by parents. For more information, click on the link in the show notes. So Mariah, we're going to go down and dirty. We're going to have a little bit of fun. Okay. What's the most expensive thing you own that has the least importance to you? Um, how long do I get to answer this? You get two hours. No. <laughs> the most expensive thing I own that has the least importance to me. Maybe my cell phone would be like something that's the least important that yeah. is a decent amount of money. Absolutely. <laughs> Where's the bulk of your budget spent? Food. 
Food is good. <laughs> food and housing. <laughs> What's your favorite food? What do you splurge on? That's not one of the fast five. I'm just asking. Mm, honestly, I love bougie, fancy restaurants and like good food made by like a chef that you can't get anywhere else. So any good food, literally. <laughs> any good food. Yeah. The good stuff. Is there anyone in your life that you still sometimes argue about money with? Maybe my dad. <laughs> he has a different approach than I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought you might say myself because I know I argue with myself about money all the time. <laughs> yeah. That's you. What's the most exciting thing you regularly spend your money on besides food? Uh, darn it. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Experiences. Yeah. Traveling or. Yeah. Traveling is amazing and eye-opening. Yeah. So good. For sure. When did you feel the least confident with money? When? I think when I was first moved out of my parents' house and I was still in college and around that time in my life, for sure. Yeah. And can you look back and see the progress? Oh, yeah. I spent all my free time. I would like make and remake the same budget like 10 times in a week just to like make sure. <laughs> it was the same numbers. It's the same numbers. I was so str I was so stressed. Yeah, I was just worried. Yeah. And budgets do. They stress people out. Mm -hmm. Spending plan, whatever you want to call it. Don't call it a budget. Yeah. New information. <laughs> I call it your money flow. Yeah. Money flows in, money flows out. Absolutely. It's an energy. It's so amazing how if you want it to flow in and then you don't ever want to let it go, probably not going to go in and out too much. Yeah. It's going to be back to scarcity. Got to let it come in, let it come out, bring lots of its friends with it. Yeah, let it flow. And let's learn to have fun with it when it comes in. That's so cool. So Mariah, we are at our M&M sweet spot, money and motivation. Do you have a practical financial tip or a piece of wealth wisdom you could share with our listeners? I loved the one that you gave about the looking back at the 10 things you wanted and do you have them? Yeah. That is awesome. Do you have another wonderful little tip like that? Yes. Make your own set of rules around money and get really clear on what you want to believe around your money and have your own back. I love that. And your rules can be different than everybody else's. Maybe try to ground them in reality, folks, you know? But I think that's so important because there are a lot of people out there that will tell you what you should, would, could, and how to do it. And the reality is you get to choose how you're going to live your life and what choices you make. Yes. And I think what you just said right there, you get to choose. Everything we do, none of it happens to us. We always get to choose when it comes to our money. And even if it's an emergency, right? If you spend money to fix the emergency, you still get to choose. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mariah, this has just been such a great conversation. I love this piece about the why, really getting clear that it's not just about behavior. Don't do it or don't save because you're afraid. Save because there are goals, because there's an outcome that you want to achieve. Mm -hmm. And I think so many people just get caught up in the behavior or I've done this many years of schooling for education, so I must stay the course instead of being able to say, ah, this is where I'm called. This is what I meant to do. And looking at your own debt and realizing I paid it down, I still feel the same, or I'm making more money, I still feel the same. Like, this is a relationship. We're in it for the long haul. We are going to be making money decisions until our last breath. And even then, there's going to be a whole bunch of money decisions made on our behalf. <laughs> yeah. It's part of our life. And so the more we can just recognize that it is the energy that we use for exchange of services and goods and experiences... It's not going anywhere. 
Yes. I love that. Money is just an exchange of value. Yeah. Money goes out for you to receive things that you value. Yeah. It's just been so great. And I love that you're out there. You're Mariah, the money coach or money coach Mariah, I should say. And I just love that you're out there. So where can people find you online and in social media? On Instagram at moneycoachmariah. Same with my website, moneycoachmariah.com. All my stuff just is at moneycoachmariah. (laughs) So yeah. Beautiful. Well, I love what you're doing. I hope our listeners reach out and connect with you. For me, it's so important to have a healthy relationship with money because it's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And there are so many people out there that are so unhappy with their current situations. And it's so possible to have a different outcome if you want to get to the whys, get a little curious and make some different choices. Yes. So good. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I appreciate you and all your listeners. Absolutely. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Did you learn something new about your relationship to money today? Maybe you have a friend who has some financial blocks or beliefs that are holding them back. Please share this podcast so they too can get off the roller coaster ride of financial fears and journey towards financial freedom. To learn how to have a healthy relationship with money, visit themoneynerve.com. That's nerve, not nerd. We'll be back next week with another perspective on money and the emotions that bind us. Blah, blah, blah.